You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. All the girls are complicated. Everyone is precious too, and you might get lucky if you do. Oh, you might get lucky if you do. Find the one that makes you laugh. Find the one that takes your breath where you won't get everything that you want. Oh, but you'll need one to don't Hello, and welcome to the Christian Feminist Podcast. Tonight, we're talking about board games, nerd culture, and our shared love of both. Our guest tonight is the lovely Madeline Turnipseed of the Love Thy Nerd website, who also happens to be my cousin, as well as Ilya Danner-Grubbs, who is one of the other regular uh, panelists for The Christian Feminist, though I'm also very lucky because I haven't gotten to record with her before, so I'm very excited about that. Board games are a growing hobby with a fun and interesting themes that are light years away from the traditional board games most of us grew up with as kids, such as Monopoly, Sorry, that kind of thing. So we're going to do a quick introduction and say who you are and when did you start uh, playing board games? So Ilya, why don't you start? Hi, my name is Ilya Danner-Grubbs and I um, live in Birmingham, Alabama. I homeschool my two young children. Um, I have an education background, but now I'm using that to teach my kids. And uh, I started my, I'm trying to think, like, I mean, I can't remember a time when I didn't do board games. You know, we had them growing up and uh, my mom never likes them. So it was mainly my sister and I um, that played them. My dad loved to play like risk with his friends and everything. But um, it wasn't until I got married that I started really kind of playing adult board games, you know, for a long time. I just didn't really, that was kind of a kid thing. Um, and then uh, got involved with some of our friends that were playing Catan, which we're going to talk about, and um, then kind of jumped into it from there. Awesome. What about you, Madeline? Hi, I'm Madeline. I am a surgical nurse uh, here in Bryan, Texas. Um, I've been doing that for about three years. Um, that's my pay for job. Uh, I have a number of organizations I'm involved with on a volunteer basis. Uh, Love Thy Nerd being one of them. Um, I, I think the earliest board game I remember playing was one called Hi-Ho Cherio. Um, I played in probably preschool. Love that one. Kindergarten. My kids love that one. Yeah. I definitely tried to eat the cherries. Uh, please don't. <laughs> um, but I really didn't get into more modern board games until probably uh, in 2011. Uh, I played a game called uh, Seven Wonders uh, with one of my friends and kind of took off from there. Great. Well, um, I'm Sarah Kluster, and I am newly moved to Abilene, where I have started a new job here. And I'm actually using board games to meet new people, and we'll talk about that later. Um, I found I started doing board games when I was probably probably about 2014. I had actually I'd moved to a new city then, and I had met some people at church, and they said I was like, "What do y'all do for fun?" And they're like, "Oh, we're we're gamers." I was like oh, like, what video games? They're like, oh, no, 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 we play board games. And I said, oh, what, like, Monopoly? And they gave, like, the connection. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, they gave the collective eye roll groan that all people who have played any sort of like Euro adult board games gives, which is like, oh, you know so little, noob. <laughs> you, you know, and not in any way, but just that kind of like, oh, you noob, like feeling. And it's like, oh, oh, are there like board games that grownups play? And they're just like, yes, yes. And so I, um, the very first kind of adult and uh, dear listeners, when we say adult, we mean designed for grownups, but not like adult with like quotation marks, obviously. <laughs> um, my first adult board game that I played was um, Ticket to Ride, which, by the way, listeners, you will also just hear me call train game because that's what my family <laughs> calls it. Um, but I absolutely loved it. And I was like, what is this kind of amazing game? This is really fun. Maybe I should invest in some of this. And so, yeah, um, that's how I started. So we've already kind of mentioned some of these games. Uh, what kind of games are we talking about, Madeline? Like, we're talking about board games. What what are what are some of these when we're when we talk about sure. adult board games? Sure. So uh, games that we're talking about, um, listeners. If we said board games and you immediately asked Monopoly. Um, there, there are going to be games that are not like that. These are games that are not mass market, or at least mass market in the uh, Hasbro, Milton Bradley sense. Um, these games are, uh, many of them are a style called Euro games, uh, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, but several others um, combine new aspects um, beyond like the roll and move mechanics that you're familiar with from games you probably played growing up. Um, and also... Um, look at uh, competition in um, competitive games in a way um, in a way that's uh, very different uh, than many of the games we played growing up where you are uh, taking resources away from uh, your fellow players or um, eliminating their pawns on the board. Great. So yeah, there there are so many different, different types that if you if you go to a board game store now or lord lord knows they've become so popular that like there's a board game section at like barnes and noble right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and walmart and target <laughs> yeah and and so it's, it's a much broader uh category but i have to say i so i will i will always stand up for for ticket to ride which is uh as again i call it train game and so it's you get you get to be your own like 19th century like robber baron (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and you're building these like vast tracks across america or europe or germany or wherever the maps happen to take you um and so one of the things that can be really appealing about some of these games at least to me is one is there aren't 8 million things you're going to do. And so a lot of the games we're going to talk about are most likely going to be on the easier end of some of these newer games. There are some that like my husband and his friends play and I play because I want to be a good and supportive spouse, but I'm always just kind of sitting here thinking like, you know, you're taking five actions and it's been like 20 minutes since it's like come (laughs) back around to me and like, okay, I'm just going to go make dinner. I'll be back later guys. You know, just call me when it's my turn. Right. But I think we really want to make sure like we're talking much more of a something that, that are easier action and are going to encourage 
hopefully a lot of social interaction, right? Yes. Um, we're women and that's the thing that we like is making sure we have the opportunity to talk and chat and all that. Um, what about you, Ilya? What are some of the board games you like? Any, any things that, any of the more modern games that really kind of catch your fancy? Well, Catan's always my go-to. That's our favorite one. That's the one that we started playing. We actually developed several friendships based around getting together and playing Catan, especially before we had kids, you know, we had lots of time to sit around and do that. Um, and uh, we got all the expansions. I love that there are different expansion packs that you can get with it to even, you know, kind of tailor it even more to what you want it to be. And so everybody kind of has their favorite version of Settlers of Catan that they like to play. Um, we call Everybody calls it Catan, but the full name is if you don't know, it's Settlers of Catan, and it's kind of the the biggest um, original Eurogame to hit the American market, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the I've, way, I've never played it. What? <laughs> we should stop right now and play it. Like, oh, I know. <laughs> it's just well, the audio of this place. Yeah, it's, no, it's so much fun, and, and we really... Um, the, that's just our that's our go-to so that's the one we are. we've played carcassonne and some of the others but um so that's always that we go get and we go back to to Catan because it's just it's fun and it has a little bit of a learning curve so once you get it you're comfortable with it you're like i don't want to learn another game i just learned this game mm-hmm. so i have to say my mother is very much that way um and so she loves train game and so we always want to play train game and well, and so, you know, part of, and so that, that's also another thing is people want to make sure that like, oh, I, I just learned this game. I want to play it. And like, but you, you can't, there are all these, this game wasn't a game that you were used to until you played this, until you played it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say I, I've, I've known lots of people, everybody has Catan, but it, because it was like the first one of these games, it's also feels from my understanding is like it's also has some older mechanics that like yes have, are, have already gone out of favor a, a lot and so there's yes. already all these other new things and, and it's so, so funny it already feels old school compared to all the new ones yes yeah <laughs> oh um, i also i have to also say so uh madeline got my husband his absolute favorite wedding gift out of all of the things that we got which we got <laughs> many many lovely things from the rest of our family um but she got us a game called Clank, and it was, he was just like, oh, he loves it. He loves it. And we, like, played it on the honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, he really, really enjoyed it. And so in that one, you're, you're kind of like an adventurer, like, going down into, like, a dragon's lair to find treasure and try to, like, make it out before the dragon eats you. And so as listeners, as you can tell, there, there are some incredible, like, incredibly different themes in some of these board games. And so that's, at least to me, part of a lot of the fun of it, right, is I can be an adventurer getting a dragon, I can be building and I'm making Carcassonne, I'm just you know, laying out a beautiful little tile map I'm playing train game and I'm a robber baron, I'm playing root and I'm like a vicious flock of birds yes. there's just there's just this huge plethora and and anything that you really like or want, there is a board game that fits that theme mm-hmm. right? Absolutely so what are what are some games that we don't really like uh, so i hate i hate to um i hate to bad talk anything um but uh i i feel it is hard for me to get excited about playing Catan. um 
just because it was one of the first games that I learned and we played it probably 60 times that year and I now that I have drank the Kool-Aid and know how diverse board games are just in not only the themes but in also the different mechanics that you can use and in the different um, stories they each tell I like I got kind of burnt out on farming games um, but also uh, the other danger with drinking the, the board game Kool-Aid is uh, you get addicted to Kickstarter and yeah um, <laughs> and so uh, it's it's very easy to back a game that has gorgeous art and um, looks like it's just going to be a ton of fun. And then you get the game and it's, uh, they, they didn't do as much work on the game part itself, maybe that, um, that you would like. So I now have a self-imposed rule that I try and at least demo a game um, or, watch several videos of a game um, being played and reviews before I back it. Just because otherwise I'm I'm taking up uh, wallet space and shelf space. Well, for me, again, part of the part of the things is that I can't play kind of old school games anymore. Anything that's like, oh, how many do I get to move? I just, I can't do anymore. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, why? Why would you play this way? Um, and so, and for any of the, the the more advanced games that I'm not as much of a fan of, I will go ahead and speak out because I know my husband's best friend doesn't listen to this. So I really, really dislike uh, Terraforming Mars. Oh! <laughs> because... I, every time I play it, I always know that I'm, and I always know that I'm playing not to lose. And obviously, everyone's going to say, like, "Well, that's your first fault." But anything that's going to have just an incredibly advanced economy that you're having to develop, right? That like mm-hmm. by the end of the game, you're take, you know, you have five cards, and each one lets you do an additional action, so you can do twenty five actions yeah. on your turn at the end. It's just, oh, oh, I just, I can't, I can't. Um, and then. But I guess maybe also my big board gaming pet peeve is people who get decision paralysis. Like, yes. let, let's hurry up. Let's hurry up. This We're going to play, like, four other games tonight. I don't care if you eke out that last four, four points. Like, <laughs> let's keep moving. And so that's one of the, one of the reasons I really, really love um, a train game is because you only get to do one thing per turn. And so the opportunity for decision paralysis just goes away when you basically like oh this is yeah this is the one thing i get to do this is the one thing i get to do however i will say i have had many time where i very definitely thought about rethought the major relationships in my life based off of someone cutting me off in ticket to ride (laughs) and i recently (laughs) played on a family trip and i had take i kept taking tickets hoping that i was finally going to get a route like, I, I had this sunk cost thing, like, fallacy. that's like, if I keep taking tickets, I'm finally going to get one that I can, like, complete. And so everybody else has, like, at least 90 points. And at the end, I have, like, 35. Because I didn't get my 20. I didn't get my long route. I didn't get... And so I got cut off, like, four times from various family members. And it took every single solitary ounce of personal maturity I had 
to not like five-year-old throw them like I quit <laughs> and just like bam out because like no table flip grown up uh, like I had I had, for 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 the in the the gamer uh, lingo I would I had gone on tilt <laughs> with, I had gone on tilt with Ticket to Ride <laughs> and I was like no um so yeah I think for me I guess the games that I, I will say I'm not as much a fan of anything that's going to be a roll and like how many can I really move based off of my my dice roll and then anything that's going to allow people to have what I would say excessive decision paralysis just like let's go let's go we can get this going yeah yeah I agree with that I think that's true I I do not have any that I like really hate of the modern games. I don't love Carcassonne. To me, that one's kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Um, when we played it, I was I was not impressed with that. But I will say, like, and this is kind of, this is very old school, but I really don't like Risk. The like, you know, okay. that was kind of the the grown up game when I was growing up. You know, that all the adults played. Mm-hmm. And uh, I Risk but, was a smart person game, right? Yeah, but like in my like my dad and his friends would play and get real rowdy about it. <laughs> it was always just kind of like, oh, I don't know, I like that. But the only version that I have ever played that I did not hate was the Lord of the Rings version hey. because it has like a an ending. It has <laughs> if the ring makes it to Mount Doom before you finish. Then it's go. It's over. So it has a self-imposed end, unlike like the regular, which goes like five mm-hmm. days. And you mm-hmm. know, um, so I didn't mind that. But yeah, I don't. I don't love those games that just kind of spiral on forever and, and ever and yeah, never have a definitive ending. Yeah, I think my first introduction to Risk was the Seinfeld episode. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> where Kramer and Newman are playing, and that you know. It's like you, and it's the also the presumption that they're both going to cheat, right? Mm-hmm. Which you know, the I will say, don't some people just don't cheat, don't cheat in your game group because whatever may be like fun for this like little bitty bit, like it's not worth everybody being annoyed at you and like kicking you out of the game group because you're yep. cheating. Yep, no, no single game is worth like your friends being like. Oh yeah, we don't want to invite this person. Eh, you know, you, you don't want to be like cast out for some of that stuff. So just no bueno, don't do it. So we've been saying uh, Euro games a lot. Not all modern games are Euro games. Ilya, what, what are Euro games? Why are, why are they more appealing than Monopoly? I I love this looking at the kind of anthropological roots of. Mm-hmm. pastimes in general but you know this specific niche um euro games are are a fascinating subculture that has come out of obviously europe um in the later part of the 20th century uh kind of as a almost as a response to the popular games in north america um that were around that were very popular, like you said, the mass marketed Hasbro type games like Monopoly and Risk and stuff like that. Um, And it really came about because after World War II, the games that were popular in North America that were focused on conquest and world domination and battle and, you know, very aggressive kind of um, individualistic games that that didn't resonate very well in places like Germany um, and Poland. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like question mark. Um, so, so they turned out started producing these games that were focused more on 
community and cooperation um, on building, whether it's building a, a, a thing or a, a place, you know, terraforming or building a city or an, a, cultivating an island. Um, and, and what they found was not only did this appeal to, to them culturally, but it appealed to a much wider range of ages, genders, occupations, personality types. You know, um, so it was a much more widely received um, product. And uh, instead of focusing on, you know, direct confrontation and um, I mean, you can think about kids games in America, like, sorry, where like the whole point is to like get in your opponent's face and be like, sorry, you know, like, <laughs> like this very like aggressive style of gaming um, with these zero sum goals. I win, you lose. Like there's no middle ground. And um, but they focused more on basically directing your own projects and then kind of like passive aggressively um, thwarting somebody else's projects adjacent but but not through like direct, purposely like, cutting off your uh sibling in train game not yes yes <laughs> exactly like cutting off resources versus destroying their building or whatever you know um but in and um kind of um thwarting the progress of others versus direct aggression and what they found is that it it caused a lot less strife between the people who were playing the games and you can finish the game and you can be excited you won or you can be disappointed you lost without wanting to you know like you said flip the table and throw all the people across <laughs> from you because they bought park place in the first round and you were you know lost um they also and this is so interesting and i never really thought about this until we read uh, one of the articles that we wrote for this podcast um that they save the scorekeeping kind of for the end. So you don't know that you've lost halfway through and then you're like, why yes, am I still playing? I, yeah, nope. that's that's such a huge thing for yeah. so many things. Is it like, of course, I know that I'm behind by 50. Like, why do I want to keep like, I'm just going to see the game. You win. It made me laugh so hard because my husband and I have this long running joke from almost the beginning of our marriage that the game that he hates the most in the entire world is the game Phase 10. <laughs> because if you've ever played phase 10 it's a card game it's not like a board game it's a card game but you you have to like do certain things to get to the next phase and you're you're yeah. moving up now you say there's 10 phases and so like somebody else could be on phase seven and you're still on phase two and you're you know you're not going to win but you have to keep playing until somebody gets to phase 10 and so you know there comes a point where you're just like i hate this game like, why, why am I doing this? Like, there's, there's no point other than to watch somebody else win. And it's very self-defeating. You know, it's not, it's not a fun engagement kind of thing. So these games, you know, you're playing the same game as everybody else up until the last minute. And yeah, you may realize that so-and-so has six points in Catan and you have two, but you know, you also know that there are things that you could do to kind of keep them from getting that last point while you try to build your store up or whatever. And it's, um, they they've found that the audiences that played these that tested these games really responded better to that kind of scorekeeping, which I think is really interesting. Well, and I would think I have no kiddos of my own, but I would think that that's probably much more how you would want your kids to play board games, right? As opposed to that very direct confrontational, like I'm, you know, you're a loot, like sure. I can't imagine. Like I think how much more fun that your childhood could have been that instead of getting like really annoyed at all of your friends and like. That you could, oh, hey, we, we had one, had, we played, we had fun, and, like, it's, and you don't feel bad about losing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right. And, like, even if you lose, you could still be like, well, yeah, but I got longest road. Like, we always joke about yeah. my husband. He, he doesn't usually win, but he always gets longest road, you know? So there's still, like, achievements. It's almost like, um, it, it really does combine some of the best features of RPGs. 
um, in video games where there's like mini achievements and side quests mm-hmm. that you oh, do. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know? So you get that little, um, you know, dopamine rush of achievement that you get whenever you, you know, get to a certain level. Even if you didn't get to the ultimate win, you still feel like, well, yeah, but I, I got largest army or I, you know, I, I built the whatever in Ticket to Ride. You know, you, there are these mini achievements that are a, a, an essential part of, you know, video games and, and even um, like tabletop RPGs. Um, and the storytelling aspect too, like you said, is a big part of your games where again, they're pulling from those RPGs where you get to be a character. You know, you're not just a token on a board that has mm-hmm. no personality. You get to really get into the storyline of whatever the game is that you're playing and kind of step into a different time or a different world or whatever. And so there's a creative aspect that, that again, pulls from a different part of your brain than just competition, you know? So it's, so, it's a really interesting combination. So I have to say, Alia, my, I, I definitely obviously enjoy um, train game and all those, but my, my true favorite games are the ones that have some sort of storytelling element to it. And so like, that's why I love gloom, which is a wonderful, like basically deck building game where instead of ha- trying to tell a story with a happy ending, you're trying to tell a story with like the worst ending. And so the, <laughs> nice. so the lower, I haven't played so the, that. it's really fun. So like the, so you have like different families and they each have these horrible things that happen to them. And so, I play bad cards on my family, like, oh, so-and-so died or so-and-so got the plague. But, like, if I'm playing you, I'm like, oh, you got an unexpected inheritance. That's funny. I've <laughs> never so, heard of that. And so the point is you want to have the lowest score. And so what you want to do is, like, I can, like, is maybe, like, r- like right before maybe Madeline and I might gang up on you. And so, like, I give you an unexpected inheritance and she like, it's like, Oh, he died. You died of plague. So you die with like positive points. And you're like, Oh no. That's <laughs> so, so funny. I, I enjoy anything that has a storytelling aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Netrunner is really good for that too. It has a great storyline. And so there was one that I bought um, several years ago called uh, Lords and Ladies. And it was essentially a board game by people who got way, way too into Downton Abbey, which, by the way, we totally should have a podcast episode about. Not sure how we've gotten this far without one. Oh, have we not really? I I don't think we've done one. Of course, now alert alert listeners are like, no, (laughs) (laughs) you don't know your own canon. Uh, (laughs) But... Yeah, it's a, it's a board game based off of people who got way too into Downton Abbey. And so you gain points by, like, having more servants and having children and, like, like gossiping. And then so you can, like, I like to play this where, you know, you get to name the kids. And so you create this whole story about your family and, like, why so-and-so is running off with the butler. And so mm-hmm. to me, the, the storytelling aspect is pro- one of my favorite parts mm-hmm. about modern gaming. And, and that's obviously becomes much more of a tabletop RPG um, role-playing game which we can have we shall has so much on it that we could totally have a separate podcast episode over that mm-hmm. and i know mm-hmm. i know i know the og uh christian humanists have already done a dozen yeah they did episode, mm-hmm. but i have i could do one of my own because i have gotten very into it recently <laughs> and me too that's our favorite that's what we do we have a monthly group that meets well i i really feel like we need a <laughs> humanist like ongoing tabletop uh, rpg game we can we we'll figure something out on roll twenty. So <gasps> y'all should just do a one shot and record it. <gasps> oh my gosh, Ooh, we should. That's amazing. You should just do a one shot and record it. That would be great. <laughs> and that's our podcast episode. Yes. Like oh how, how like 
Oh, okay. I'm very excited <laughs> about this. We will t- we will talk about this when we are done recording because I I am all in on this idea right now. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, so, game- oh, go yeah. ahead, Madeline. Um, games that focus on story or theme um, in the kind of new um, hobby gaming world um, are actually uh, often a reaction to Euro games, and they've adopted this. Um, lovely, lovely term, which not every um, gamer is in love with, but it's called Ameritrash. Um, Because sometimes, and this is like earlier, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago in the genre, um, that oftentimes uh, people would look at Euro games, which are a lot of build a farm, build a city, um, build a, a civilization, but it's usually... Building. Build a German principality somewhere, yeah. Yes, yes. And you and it's usually um, a little bit dry. And so they said, well, we look at the mechanics and uh, the interesting things that mechanics are doing in Euro games, but then we look at all the like juicy themes uh, that American games are doing, which not all of them were juicy, but we can inject some American juicy themes into them. And sometimes they went a little bit too far on the themes and not enough with the... Um, substantial mechanics and so they adopted the name um ameritrash but i feel like that recently uh games that would technically fall under that term um have done a great job of of coming back around to be um to be substantial games so games like lords and ladies that you're talking about um earlier this week i played a game called mansions of madness which is essentially uh just a tabletop rpg that um an app on your tablet or phone will run for you um, and you can you have the board and the pieces, and then you go to different places and whatever scenario you're running in and interact um, and try and solve a mystery. Um, so uh, even though it's not it, you couldn't call it a euro game because you're not playing your own um, individual game and looking to uh, who can build the best farm based on victory points. Um, you're still uh, often in these Ameritrash games, you're um, playing cooperatively. Um, and so it, it takes away the antagonistic um, competition that makes people want to table flip often. Well, I, I enjoy a good, um, I, I definitely enjoy a good cooperative game. And so some of those games, uh, listeners, are things that you'll see. And if you go into any board game store, they're going to have mm-hmm. posters for. So that's going to be like Pandemic. Yep. Uh, Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert. Mm-hmm. And those can be really, really good. A, a, sometimes a caution on those is if you have essentially like an alpha gamer, so like like a bossy person, so like my husband, he <laughs> is going to, he's, he's, he, he's essentially going to kind of feel like he's playing by himself. He's like, well, because we're all like, well, the most accurate would be if, you know, maybe you should move there and you could do that, you know? Mm-hmm. So there, there's a, so those are very fun, but depending on who you're playing with, those can be a bit of a trade-off. So Madeline, you mentioned a couple of times, and I think we mentioned a couple of times, so we might want to clarify as best we can in a purely audio format. Sure. When we, we, we've said a couple of times, like mechanics, game mechanics. Can you give us a little bit more of a, of a clarification on what we mean by that. I would love to. So um, mechanics in board games, if you think about uh, shoots and ladders, your most basic is 
you roll and you move and you do what the the square says that you land on. That's uh, roll and move is your mechanic there. In um, phase 10, it's hand management. So you're deciding, okay, these are the cards that I have. This is the thing that I want to decide to do with these cards. That's hand management. Um, in something like Catan, it is worker, can help me with this, Alia. It's worker placement, but then also resource management um, because you place your worker in different areas. Is it territory control? It's been a while since I played. There is some of that, but it's mainly to get resources. So it all okay. comes back to resource management. So yeah, worker placements, you place your, your token um, on a certain spot to get that resource. And then you have so many resources that you need to uh, trade with other players um, to achieve whatever your personal goal is. Um, or to be able to place your road and get longest road. Hooray. Um, so uh, there's... Um, also, uh, lots of mechanics that include dice, so not just um, dice rolling and see what the dice says, and then that's that's what you get, but then dice drafting. So um, Sarah and I played a game called Sagrada, where you're oh, building, love Sagrada. <laughs> where you're building um, a stained glass window um, that's supposed to be reminiscent of the stained glass windows in the Sagrada de Familia um, church. I don't know what the... Per- the exact term for that is in um, Barcelona, Spain. Um, so you roll a whole bunch of dice in a tray and then the dice tray goes around and everybody gets to pick out one or two dice um, to add to their window based on the color of the dice and what the result is. Um, I feel like I'm probably just word vomiting, so I'll just pick one or two more. Um, uh, there is a mechanic called deck building. That's one of my favorites. And this is um, one of the mechanics that's in... Um, clank that Sarah was talking about earlier. In deck building, um, you have a, a starter hand of cards, not very many, maybe like five or ten, and um, there will be usually a store, um, which is just like a row or a grid of cards out in the middle of the table um, that everyone will be able to use some kind of currency in the game to buy and add those cards into their hand, and then every turn you're playing cards out of your hand discarding them when you're done um, you've completely exhausted your draw pile you shuffle then you redraw so you're um, building a deck of cards from which to play for play through um any other requests stuff i could talk about i think that that's i think that's it for the for the the, the really big things um and you also talked about you know we have worker placement and there's also basically it's kind of general economy, right? So, and most of those are the economy aspect can be either from your worker placement or maybe the hand you're building. So some Mm -hmm. of them can get a little more technical, but yeah, I think that was a very, very good overview. Mm -hmm. Basically, whenever it gets more complicated than uh, worker placement and um, hand management, then you're looking into engine building, which is how do all of these things work together? (laughs) Yeah. And Depending on who you're playing with, different people like to build their engines in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a very good friend who is the best man at our wedding that he actually likes to look at the way like, okay, how would most people think is the stupid way to play this game? And how, and I'm going to lose a couple of times, but then I'm going to figure out how to play the stupid way and win doing the stupid way. Oh, that's, right. That's fantastic. It's basically like a, like a card shark, but for board games. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what like the poker sharks used to do? Like. 
Yeah. The, and so, you know, you're going along and then all of a sudden you're just like, man, you know, Jonathan is just, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing over there. And then he comes back with like, you know, and because it's a Euro game, you don't really frequently, you don't actually have mm-hmm. all the in- points and information. And so mm-hmm. he comes back with like 50 points and you're just like, how did this happen? And so all listeners, one thing is that it doesn't sometimes for some of these games, you, you have some, uh, points and information on the board, but a lot of times it's, you know, you're still holding the cards, right? And so, you know, maybe, oh, I have 30 points and Madeline has, you know, 20 and Ilya has 45, but then Madeline was sitting on like 60 points that we didn't realize in the rest <laughs> of the and, so, and, so, and so what you end up with is people kind of like surging ahead. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I, I didn't, you know, so there, there's, there's a fun part of that, that uh, with a lot of these games. So... Um, well, let's transition a little bit. And we've talked a lot about games, um, obviously, because it's a thing that we really like. But we also have we have a Christian element to this podcast. And so the Christian, what we're going to talk about today is how can kind of the board, how can the church kind of use some of these tools, some of these great things to actually help in its mission. And so before we can talk about how it helped in its mission, we probably need to talk about, you know, does the church have a young people problem? If you, if you read any, (laughs) if you read base, if you read anything, if you read the Atlantic, if you read the New York times, if you read first things, if you read the Baptist standard, if you, if you read boundless, the church kind of has a bit of a young people problem, right? So I hear I look around in some of the Sunday school groups. I'm like, not very many people coming. Would you ladies agree with this? Absolutely. Yeah. So why, why is this? How did, how did this start, do we think, ladies? I think some of it is um, one of the articles that you sent us beforehand has to do with kind of the like satanic panic of the 80s. Um, there was kind of a pushback against like Dungeons and Dragons and um, role-playing games in general. Um, and that then in the 90s led to kind of a knee-jerk pushback against video games. Um, mm-hmm. And th- so then in the early 2000s, that, but you, you know what I mean? It's just kind of been an ongoing like young people socializing by doing Satan things um, <laughs> has been like the, the headline of the, you know, church bulletins for a long time. And so I think that there was kind of this, um, negative reaction before it even had a chance to be anything, you know? I don't think anybody would look at somebody playing Catan and say, oh, that's, you know, terrible things they're doing right there, you know? But in general, the idea of gaming, quote-unquote, got a bad rap early, you know, when we were young. And then it, it has just kind of hung on a little bit. And I think it's getting better, the, the gaming side of it. But But young people in general, like, that idea of, like, there's always been kind of that aspect right of the mm-hmm. the older generation looking down and saying young people today I mean there's there's writings from Plato talking about how young people today don't respect their elders like they used to and you know so I, I, I think some of that is kind of just human nature um and then specifically looking at it from you know gaming and and entertainment for young people there's always kind of a little bit of a side eye there and so I think sometimes this just gets kind of glommed in with that maybe mm-hmm. I don't know what do y'all think I think I think that's definitely part of it. Um, but I think in addition to that, the generational values are certainly different um, between um, the the boomers that are um, usually like the elders of the church now and the people that 
um, often have been in these individual churches for the longest. Um, and the the millennials and the, the young families and then even the teenagers um, that are coming in. Um, and so often the church will be set up um, to organize, organized and um, set up to minister in ways that make sense um, to boomers because it was what worked in their day, but is often um, doesn't match maybe the values of the younger people coming in. So like, we went to a um, engaged in young married class uh, in our church, and um, they had regular sessions about how how different life is in your marriage once um, once you have children. It's completely different, and like we we had been married for three months, um, and that was not uh, what what some of our priorities are, and. And so we, we felt alienated because uh, it wasn't our personal goal to get married mm-hmm. and immediately have children, mm-hmm. um, which is very common among millennials that, that they yeah. don't want to have children or they're, they're not getting married until later in life. They're not getting married at 20. Um, and so often the church says, well, if you're not a teenager, you're not in college, um, you're not married, or even if you are married, but if you don't have children, we don't have a way to minister to you. So you can be a third wheel. Um, We want you to be a third wheel, basically. That's so true. My husband and I waited eight years to have kids. And that eight years, it was really hard to fit into. We we were at three different churches during that time. Mm -hmm. And we had a very similar experience where the young Mary's class was basically a, you know, young moms and dads class. You know, there wasn't a a lot for people who had double income, no kids and were, you know, career minded or whatever. Mm -hmm. And. Um, that's that's very true. Well, I have to say, Madeline, uh, we have an episode about that, the uh, Christianity, uh, Christianity and uh, singleness, which was my very, very first uh, Christian feminist episode Woo-hoo! way back in the day, which, by the way, I don't know if I've ever said this. I recorded that episode the week before I went on a date with my husband, my first date with my <laughs> husband. I, like, I had this whole thing of like, oh, being single and all this. And I went on a date with him. And then, like, two weeks later, it came out, and I'm telling you about it. And I'm like, well, you know, if you really want to know how I believe about all these really deep issues about being single, you can just listen to this podcast episode because I just put it all out there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so he stuck with me through that, so good on him. I I think both of you ladies are exactly right that the ch- church has kind of trouble reaching young people. One, because this kind of satanic panic, like, oh, my God, Harry Potter is, is evil. Like, mm-hmm. I and so not that, again, not that anyone's looking at Catan and saying, well, that's bad. But it, if you don't understand the culture and you're just like, well, nerdy things are bad. Then yeah, it just kind exactly. of all, it, it all gets lumped together. And also, mm-hmm. as Madeline stated, that people have, um, have a lot of changing uh, life goals. And one of the articles the I call the little cliffs notes of a very famous book that I um, I can link to in the show notes is called bowling alone and it's an incredibly famous book that if if basically if you read any new book that has come out in the past like two years and there are dozens of them about alienation young men being alienated why people aren't coming together a lack of social cohesion like we've all seen all of those books right Mm -hmm. the book that they all harken back to is this one called bowling alone and it talks about that americans originally were were people 
that met and had social connections. Like even to- uh, de Tocqueville, you know, notices mm-hmm. this when he comes over and he's writing about like, man, these Americans really get together and they like form social bonds in a way that we don't in Europe. And so this, and so this book, Bowling Alone, talks about, and it's published in 2003. So before, you know, so, you know, over a decade ago and before we had all, before we had Facebook, before we had Twitter and all of this social media about that uh, civic engagement and those kind of social bonds are actually in decline in America. And that they kind of peaked in the basically late 60s and that you basically had a, a long ongoing um, absence from churches, from unions, from the titular bowling leagues. And so you, you have a bit of a rise of, you know, like, well, we have lots more people than ever in the AARP, but guess what? They are pre- there are no AARP meetings, right? Like they don't mm-hmm. meet They're They, they sit, you know, they're, they're a voting block, but they're not, they're not going to help give your life meaning. They're not yeah. going to, you're, they're not going to help you make friends who are going to come over and bring you, you know, bring you flowers when your parents die. They're, and so that they talked about that the things that get done in society are these like little small units, right. Where people find and they bond. And that's one of the things that my husband and I found when we started playing Dungeons and Dragons, shout out, uh, mm-hmm. Don Castle adventuring group. <laughs> um, so, and it's, it's incredibly powerful, right. That people want to belong and games are a really helpful way to do that. Right. So, yeah, I think part of the thing that the church is having trouble with is we have the, you have just general people are uh, belonging to fewer and fewer of these organizations. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that the, the things that the world is saying is like, hey, we're becoming increasingly out of step with popular culture, which I don't necessarily think is bad because we're not called, we're not called to be popular. Sure. So I'm okay with that. But it means that we need to do more than just exist and be like, ah, as a cultural institution, people shall just respect us and come into our doors. Right. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which seems to be for some churches I have been to recently, that seems to be their evangelism message, right? Like we have an impressive visage, please come and notice us like, like a yeah. hot girl. Who's just like, if I just pose correctly, they'll come talk to me. Right. <laughs> Thing. these churches are hot <laughs> i know it's <laughs> okay so we've established the church has long going issues reaching basically anybody to you know millennials which lord knows sometimes i hit like millennials are 36 now we don't actually have to all talk like they're like 22 mm-hmm. right but anybody under generation x right the church is having trouble keeping uh, either bringing them into our doors, uh, keeping them. And so I'm going to kind of flip this over to my dearly beloved uh, cousin, number, are you number 18, Madeline? I think I am. I think I'm 18. Number 18. Forgive our grandmother, me, Grandma like, Patsy, if I'm not 18. Our grandmother, like, numbered everybody in the family for the order they came in. So, like, I, my, she's number two. My grandfather's number one. That's so I'm number funny. 16. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, we have shirts. So, <laughs> I mean, I would assume. So, 
So, Madeline, I'm going to flip this over to you. We've established board games are awesome. We've established the church needs to do better about reaching younger people. What What is it that you and your organization kind of help do um, with this? So, uh, Love Thy Nerd exists to be the love of Jesus to nerds and nerd culture. Um, the church in the past has done a pretty poor job of uh, reaching out to um, people who engage in nerdy activities of all stripes, um, usually making them feel um, awkward at best. Um, and so Love Thy Nerd um, kind of has a twofold mission. Um, we want to speak uh, to nerds and show them that um, that Jesus loves them, um, that uh that they matter and that what they're doing um, by engaging in nerd culture has value. Um, and that we also want to speak to churches um, and uh, talk about the parts, um, the parts of nerd culture that are wonderful um, and beautiful and speak truth into the world um, that have often been uh, dismissed um, at best uh, by mainstream Christianity. And we do that for, for all different kinds of nerdum, um, and board games is part of that. In particular, we like board games because they are, um, they instantly build a community. Um, you sit down at the table um, and you're going to play a game. There are a growing number of games now that you can play solo, um, but almost always I prefer to play a game um, with people. Um, whether you know them or not in board games, then you have to sit across from the person um, and you step into the uh, the magic circle and you enter this this realm of play where you have agreed to a set um, a set a set of rules and um, you engage in discourse. Um, you are sometimes in competition, um, but you always have the opportunity uh, to value the person across the table from you, um, not only for what they're capable of, but for for who they are as a person. Um, what, all, what else would you like me to talk about here? Um, I can talk about our uh, convention stuff or yeah, you know, resources we have. Yeah, about, uh, about some of the what y'all do at uh, conventions. Um, Love Thy Nerd goes to several conventions a year. This year we went to um, PAX South, which is here in um, San Antonio, Texas. And uh, we went to uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion, which is a comics convention in um, Phoenix, Arizona. And um, we went to Gen Con, which is in Indianapolis, Indiana. And then um, here in November, maybe early December, they're going to uh, PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia. Um, when we go to convention, um, we want to, above all, be the love of Jesus to everyone there. Um, but specifically what we do is um, oftentimes our uh, our team will volunteer and uh, demo games uh, with people at different um, retailers' booths. So they'll sit there and just demo games um, all, all day, sometimes for several days, um, and have the opportunity to... Um, encourage uh, the people that they're working with. It's very taxing to stand on your feet for 12 hours for three or four days in a row and try and sell stuff to people. Um, but we also get the opportunity to um, 
show the convention goers there that, um, hey, we're Christians, we're public-facing Christians, and we're not um, condemning you for enjoying board games. We're not uh, standing outside shouting you with signs, um, which still happens at conventions, and that makes me really sad. Um, and um, we're not trying to sell you Christianity. I mean, ultimately, I want every person on this earth um, to find to find God, but I can't convince someone that that's the thing that they should do. Um, I need to show them the difference that God has made in my life, and I can't do that without a relationship. Um, so um, what we're also looking at doing is um, forming relationships at conventions, um, whether it's people that we're going to panels with, people that we're just meeting randomly and playing games with, um, somebody you're just standing in line with. You do a lot of standing in line at conventions. And so um, anybody that we can make a relationship with is an opportunity um, to share God's love. Um, as far as our website, uh, which is more the side that I'm on, um, I am assignments editor and contributor for our website. And we look to um, provide resources for uh, people who are running their own game nights um, for churches that are looking to um, board games and gaming as a avenue of ministry. Um, and we also write about um, the things in, uh, in games and in nerd culture in general um, that make us reflect on our own life. Um, so I had, y'all have both talked about uh, your um, moment with your significant other where you... <laughs> You came to to a place in a game where uh, maybe it was a little bit painful or uh, it stung a little bit and you had to forgive and move on. Um, I definitely had one of those playing scythe with my husband. Um, and I, I had to come to a point where I said, if we're going to play this game um, and if we're truly going to be equals here at the table, I need to stop looking for special differential treatment just because... I'm Tate's husband, I'm Tate's wife. Um, and I, I felt that um, by playing a board game. Um, so uh, anytime, anytime that uh, someone encounters a moment like that in nerd culture where it taught them something new about themselves um, or uh, made them reflect differently about their faith or their... Um, the relationship with God, um, we we love for people to share about that. Um, so we share a lot of those um, on our website. Um, the other thing we do is interact pretty broadly uh, in the online community. Um, we have a Facebook group called Love Thy Nerd Community, and there's I can't ever keep up with everything going on in there. Um, but people are sharing uh, stuff that they're excited about. Um, in nerd culture, um, people are talking about things that they're doing uh, with their church, trying to get their church involved in nerd culture, or awesome things that their church is already doing. Often these are um, board game nights, um, and they they uh, share prayer requests with each other. Um, things that that it's just we're a community. We want to share and uplift each share um, share our struggles if we're truly a community and supporting each other. Thank you, Madeline. That was very, very well said. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, I um, I completely have to agree, and 
on with you on all of that and that especially i my my parents have listened to madeline talk about this at very family various family reunions is like we should have our church do this our church should do this <laughs> and so this is a thing that they're working on with uh one of our ministers is like we we should have a board game night because again it you can advertise it you can put it in board game uh put it in uh, board game stores, comic stores, and people will come. And one of the things that is really great about churches, and they talk about this in Bowling Alone, is that many times people say, well, how, how can churches get such devotion out of people when many times they ask a very, very high bar of uh, sexual morality, giving, service, being there, you know, what, how can, how do people become so devoted? Well, we would say because it's a true meaningful relationship um, with Christ, but the uh, kind of the official sociological answer is that it's because we kind of create these little, like churches are very, very good at creating those small communities. Right. Mm -hmm. And those little, that honeycomb structure is how they describe it of six or seven people in your Sunday school class on the personnel board who are with you in vestry, who are teaching adult education with you, all of these things, and that it, it helps connect and it helps build something very, very strong, but the foundation is actually those very small relationships, right? And churches, you can just come in and you can just sit down and you can have coffee and we'll give you donuts and you'll read some uh, songs off of, a, um, off of an overhead projector. And so it's a pretty low bar. And Board games are a way to help keep that bar low, right? That if nothing else, you can come and you can visit and you can help build that relationship. And then in a couple of months, in a couple of years, when he feels like sharing something that's going on with his life or if he decides that he wants to come to church, he knows people, right? He's mm -hmm. met the preacher before, actually, because the preacher's been there a couple of times, right? And so he's played Carcassonne or Clank or architects of the West kingdom. He's, he's played many of these games. And so he, he knows the preacher or he knows, and, and, and it helps foster those relationships in a way that I, that I think is what we want to do in life now. And, you know, nobody, at least as I know, is really doing that old cold call evangelism anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we, it's, it's about building those relationships. And I think board games can really help us do that, especially because, Many of the people who play board games are single young men or women who have a very high likelihood of that they might be pretty isolated anyway, right? Yeah. And so if you're going to play board games or you're going to play Dungeons and Dragons or any tabletop role-playing game, you have to interact with other people to do that. Like you can play, you can play League of Legends or Overwatch. Like you can play them with people. But you're not being very nice when you play them, right? In fact, my nickname for League of Legends is when I hear people, my husband, when he'll play it, it's like, oh, you're playing mean game again, aren't you? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, and if, and he's, he's always wanted me to play different games with him. And he's like, oh, you should play this game and this game. And then one day I was like, you know, should I try playing that one with you? You always want me to play. He's like, no, don't start trying to play League of Legends. <laughs> They're all horrible. Um, and so there's a very high high likelihood that many of the people who might engage in some of this are are fairly isolated in, in board games and Dungeons and Dragons and any role to 
it requires him to come out and for a couple of hours to interact, work with people, um, have conversations. And so it's, I would say that it's, it's, it's very, very good for that kind of niche. And with that, I'll go into my next question. I feel like I've kind of answered that already, but is playing board games good for us? Elia, is it playing board games good for us? I think this is such a funny question because, you know, if we were talking about like getting together to knit or to quilt like they used to, or, you know, even like getting together to have what they call silent book club where everybody sits around and reads, nobody would ever <laughs> ask the question like, is knitting good for us? You know, like, like board games are, are a tool. They're, they're a thing. And it's neither good nor bad. It's, it's just the means to interact with people, right? It's just the, like you said, it's the magic circle that you go into that gives you kind of a structure in which you can, you know, adopt these rules and entertain yourself and play this game and have kind of a a mutual goal and everything. But it's funny because it, it shows like the question itself kind of shows that it's still attached somehow to the things that we consider like questionable entertainment right one of my favorite nonfiction books is the book everything bad is good for you um which if you haven't read it i highly recommend it especially if you have anything to do with gaming or television it's specifically talking about video games and television but in general it's talking about how those things that we kind of see as brain candy you know the things that are the uh guilty pleasures of our entertainment society actually like are getting progressively more challenging to our brains and our um showing in measurable ways that they're making us smarter. Um, One example that they give is like Tetris. Um, Kids after the 80s started uh, their scores on spatial orientation tests in SATs skyrocketed because they're doing these spatial orientation games all the time. Mm -hmm. And it used to be kind of this, this assessment of intelligence that you couldn't practice for that. So it just showed raw intelligence. And now it's something that they practice for, for hours or they did, you know, we did in the eighties and nineties, not now, but, but so, you know, it's talking about like even things like the complexity of television is, is requiring more of the audience than it used to. Um, And so the same thing with the complexity of board games, you know, um, the board games that we play now require a level of complexity that it was not required in even a game like risk, which is a strategy game and kind of a, you know, there's some alliance building and everything, but, but the strategies that go on in some of these, like you said, you know, terraforming Mars and some of these, you know, high level games is it's a, it's a lot. And it takes a a lot of um, kind of what they call telescopic, planning where you're you're setting a big goal but you have to reach three little goals in succession in order to get to that big goal and and things like that so so the short answer is yes and the long answer is very yes um but like <laughs> games are good for us um like you said in the social ways but also in cognitive ways it's good for you it's good for children um they you know have done tons of studies about you know children who play board games um, not only do better socially, you know, they're developing those social skills, but they're they're developing spatial orientation skills, they're developing um, patience, turn-taking, you know, even fine motor skills. You know, across the board, these things are, are exposing children and adults to a wide variety of um, interactive um, options that we might not have in our daily life, sitting at a desk or, you know, doing our job or whatever at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's good in several different areas and specifically from a Christian perspective, obviously, you know, anything, like you said, that builds relationships um, is is fantastic, you know, whether it's relationships between Christians or relationships with non-Christian, you know, in, in general, building relationships is good. It's good for humanity as a as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes what we find ourselves doing at Love Thy Nerd is uh, defending 
play, um, usually almost always to the church. Um, the church, uh, and I don't think this was ever intentional, but uh, often the church has come to take the view that if you're not doing something that is quote-unquote productive, um, then you are wasting your time. Um, and so that's usually why uh, things that are nerdy, which are usually things that uh, people engage in as children, but oftentimes will grow out of or just stop engaging with for one reason or another. Um, oftentimes those things are fun. Oftentimes those things involve some element of play. Um, but play is an important part of rest. Um, we're not asking our brain to... Um, to do work uh, in, in the sense of what we do for our job. Um, and we're not asking our brain to engage in uh, whatever our normal social tasks and chores are that we would engage in. We're putting our brain into different space. Um, and rest is, we're, when we play like that, we're resetting our brain and that's a form of rest. And rest is incredibly important uh, to Christians. Uh, we know this because God took a day off when he created the world. Um, so if, if rest is important to God, I feel like rest is absolutely, um, important to Christians and mm -hmm. play, um, should absolutely be a part of that. And board games in particular, um, are an excellent form of this for, for all the reasons that, um, Ilya just listed off. Well, I happen to agree with all of you. Well, not all of you, both of you ladies. And so I don't know <laughs> if there's much more to add to that. So I'm just going to say, yes, I think it's good for us. Um, the thing that my that I like to say is I play, I play an individual board game to win. I play board games to interact and visit and have a social outlet, right? Mm -hmm. And so... When we're, when we're saying we want to do this for fun, it, it doesn't mean that you're, we think you're going to go and just lose or anything like, no, have a healthy, fun sense of competition with your friends. But yeah, I play an individual game to win. I play board games to have friends. All right. So we're going to go on with our recommendations. Madeline, what do you have for us? Um, so I am going to recommend um, some games that are better for new gamers. Um one is called uh, Commissioned. This is a game that came out in 2016 by uh, Kara Games. I'm actually friends with um, the publisher. I'm super excited. <laughs> uh, this is a game um, that's a cooperative game that uses a deck building mechanism. Like we talked about earlier, it plays in an hour, so you're not committing to a super long experience. Um, and you play as early Christian apostles that have to work together um, to um, mature their faith, grow the church, collect the books of the New Testament, and uh, overcome persecution. Um, and it goes through uh, the first 150 years of church history. And so if you're familiar with the game Pandemic, um, this kind of plays like reverse Pandemic, um, in addition to having the deck building mechanic. So instead of trying to eliminate um, an outbreak in, in uh, pandemic here you're trying to spread an outbreak as it were um, an outbreak of christianity um another game sorry an outbreak of christianity that, that's, that's very funny <laughs> yes um another game i would recommend is called dragoon um this game is on the slightly pricier side but it is a gorgeous game um it is a four-player game uh you it is uh 
competitive game. Um, you each play as a dragon. You have a home base cave, um, and you are... Um, it's a little bit hand management, um, where you are trying to um, come up with the most victory points uh, based on uh, the amount of gold you have, the uh, cities that are, um, I guess, loyal to you, um, and you want to have more of that than the other dragons on your board, uh, so you can go and um, torch their cities or raid their caves while they're out, um, stuff like that. Um, Excellent. Uh, Ilya, what are some of yours? I had two games that I was going to recommend. Um, one is called Flux, and it is a really fun deck building game that is a great introduction. If you have not played a game since you were 10 years old, like a board game, you know, if, you, if you're if you new to modern gaming, you know, uh, this is a great place to start. It's a very easy to pick up and start playing and it's called flux because there are no rules you build the rules as you go and the cards that you build in your hand and you play set the rules for the game so it's a different game every time and you just play whatever rules you put down so the rule might be um every time somebody plays this card everybody has to trade hands or yeah it's it's crazy and it's fun and it's silly and it makes everybody laugh and usually a, a game can take five minutes or it can take 20 minutes, but it's, you know, it's short. Um, but it's a really fun one to play with, you know, family groups, people who aren't gamers per se. Um, it's a it's a good kind of jumping off one into some of the new kind of flexible rules um, and scorekeeping and stuff like that. Um, and then my second recommendation is um, for children. It's a game called Wildcraft. And it is a, it's a combination uh, board game and deck building. And the premise of the game is that it teaches children or adults um, ed wild edible plants and their medicinal mm -hmm. and uh, uses. And so each of the cards, um, you have one set of cards that are like problems. So while you're going to pick blackberries, you might get a sunburn or you might get stinging nettle or something like that. And your cards, um, that are the the plants have different things that you can use them for so you could use aloe for the sunburn or you could use you know so, so you you get all these problems and then you have to solve your problems using um these wild herbs and it shows real pictures of the herbs on the the cards or at least really good art of them so that the idea is that you're actually teaching the children this um and the the game is cooperative it's not competitive, and um, in the end, like, you're trying to get up to pick the blackberries and back down to Grandma's house by nightfall, so you have this kind of sun mechanic that's going through the sky, um, but if you don't make it, Grandma comes and gets you, so there's no, like, devastating ending where you die <laughs> in the woods from bears because you didn't make it back to Grandma's house or something like that, um, so it's a really gentle game for children. My four-year-old loves it. Um, his favorite part is collecting problems. He likes to get as many problems as possible, <laughs> which I feel like is pretty accurate um, for the rest of his life, and, uh, but but it's a really fun game, and it has this amazing uh, educational benefit of teaching wild herbs, which we like to go hiking and things. So that's really fun, you know, to to feel like it's it's teaching cooperative skills and stuff, but it's also teaching real life science skills. So um, we really enjoy that game as a family. And is, I'm looking at it on Amazon right now. This is beautifully illustrated. It is beautiful, and it's it's not expensive either. So it's a good mm -hmm. one to get keep in your library for a long time. All right, thank you so much. So I'm going to recommend. Um, the newest um, addition to the uh, nerdy convention 
world, which is the LTN Con, Love Thy Nerd Con, that's happening in Dallas, October 4th and 6th. Now, I understand listeners who are going to be hearing this like, how are you recommending something that's a pre-register that we can't even go to? Well, I'm, I'm recommending it as a thing because it's going to be awesome and you should totally go next year and I'm just telling you about it now. Um, <laughs> we, have about, we have about 30 spots left uh, at the time of this recording. So you could so, go. <laughs> I'm going to be there. My parents are going to be there and I know you want to hang out with them. <laughs> but And we're, there's going to be lots of... Uh, Lots of board games that you can play. They're going to be um, open tabletop RPGs. I'm going to be playing some. I'm pretty sure my hubby is going to be demoing a a and d adventure that he's written. And so there's, it's going to be lots and lots of fun. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it's a way to get together and have an awesome have an awesome time and meet other fellow Christians who are interested in the things you want and find out about how to use this wonderful resource as a way to help evangelize and, you know, reach people who you didn't think were ever going, that you wouldn't really have something in common with to bring them into the church. Mm -hmm. In addition to lots of game time, we will have uh, sessions on what love thy nerd is, uh, relational outreach, intentional community, and um, the thoughtful content, which are three pillars of Love Thy Nerd. Well, ladies, do we have anything else we want to add? Um, if you are interested in what Love Thy Nerd does but can't uh, make it out to the convention until next year, um, I would highly recommend, or at least ask perhaps, uh, that you check out our website. Um, in addition, there I will send uh, Sarah a link to um, an article that we've done about um, starting your own game night, if that's something that interests you, um, and eight questions you should ask before you do that to think about um, what your goals are, um, who you'd like to come, and making sure that you're um, meeting your own expectations as well as uh, creating a good environment for all your players. Awesome, and the, uh, they also have, uh, Love Banner has a whole host of other awesome podcasts that you totally need to be listening to as well, so <laughs> check them out. So, everyone, thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic or reading recommendation for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcasts at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page and check out the show notes from this and all our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. For Madeline Turnipseed and Ilya Danner-Grubbs, I'm Sarah Kluster. Tune in in two weeks when we'll discuss gender equality in parenting and domestic responsibilities. Until then, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love.